In this morning's great time of awkwardness, I am uh, proud to introduce to you David and Amanda, who's in the back. David can give a wave, let his wife be. He's, they're here visiting with us. We talked last week as a church that we're, gonna, um, uh, we're looking to bring in somebody to join our staff team. Uh, and we are in the process of conversation. Don't weird them out. I did joke with him and said, this is the point where we pull the red chair on the stage and we start lobbing theological questions at him. Can God make a rock so big? That even he can't lift it. And the answer is all, all of the above. I really don't know. I don't know. And I have degrees in theology. That said, uh, make them feel welcome later. We're glad that you are with us here this morning. Uh, the wife and I had a, uh, a, a pre-birthday celebration. My wife is aging, but aging gracefully. And we had a daughter who was at a a camp out, a Girl Scout camp out this week. So we, and we had an early morning soccer game. So it was like the rest of the day, it's like we get the whole day to ourselves, which is the blessing of the Lord. So we decided to head down to OTR, not knowing if we wanted to, you know, what we wanted to do. And we're like, we can always catch the streetcar, you know, now, like we're such urban hipsters. But with the masses that are probably not streetcar going people, we ended up at Oktoberfest. Did anybody make it to Oktoberfest yesterday? Some of you are like, can we admit that in church? You are allowed to. I'll tell you the difference that was interesting to me is that being down on 2nd and 3rd Street, um, fortunately it was overcast, so it wasn't blazing sun, but it was really a nice little venue. If they could ever put the parks over the place, it would be great. And I only need a taste of Oktoberfest, both from a beverage standpoint, but then also just from being down there. It's like, okay, it's something that we did, we're down there, and now I'm like, that's enough of that, Right? Like, I, I'm okay with crowds, but, you know, really inebriated crowds. Like, by the time we were in Washington Park, and this dude's walking park, the car, park, and I'm like, hey, Kelly, look at this guy. And what, did, what was the phrase that you said? You were like, um, oh, it was just hilarious. You were on the moment. I should have written this stuff down. But it's just like we called him out because he's in a glaze just walking across Washington Park. I'm like, how did he make it? Like, 10 blocks north. In the midst of all that, and if you've been down there before, if you've been to Taste of Cincinnati, there seems to be another May stay, you know, in addition to all the craft beers available and the plethora of Bud Light. And that's a whole other sermon right there, by the way, because I was just, forget it. I'm just like, really? Like you come down and have a blue can. That's great. You could have done that in rural America. The one mainstay that's happening right now are the Christian protesters. I don't know if you've run into them. And I, I just was, I'm like, like, I don't want to add to, like, the scene and start taking my own pictures. So I looked at Insta, you know, last night. And I was like, somebody's got to have a picture of this. And this is actually a sign, one of the signs that they were holding up yesterday um, that is there. And the thing that impressed me most is they actually now have some large banner signs. But they have a system because they can get a tool belt by which to put the sign in. And then it leverages that. So I'm just like, that actually took some creativity and uh, yeah, there's just a lot. Everybody's reading the list right here. They've become a mainstay just because of what they are trying to say is just that basically, you know, God will judge you, right? And then that inevitable, so when you add that in a public setting normally, and then you add, you know, mass quantities of alcohol to it, it always makes for some interesting exchanges. And every time we walked around that area, somebody was yelling at somebody about something, right? Now, here's the interesting thing about all of this. And it's something that I don't know if you've actually fully grappled with. Because as much as all of us here are mocking this, right? 
Do you realize that if they were presented with a form, and you were presented with a form, and if religious affiliation was a checkbox right there, we both would check the same box, right? You wouldn't be able to do the addendum Christian, but really not like them in parentheses, right? Which brings to light a very key question that maybe you've never wrestled with, but you ought to, which is, what does it mean... To be a follower of Jesus. What does it truly mean to be a Christian? And when it comes to situations like these, how can you and I just definitely articulate the idea that we truly don't believe that this is what Jesus would have us do? Last week, we started our new study for the fall. It's the uh, New Testament book of Ephesians. We talked about in the New Testament, there's lots of letters and just lots and lots of letters And these letters were written to churches or sometimes individuals to help them grasp some aspect of life in Christ. And the main writer of this was a man named Paul. Larry referenced them earlier. The the words we read earlier are from this chapter. He was uh, one of the most influential people in human history. Helped to outline what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this letter is a book to a a, a church in a a large port town in modern-day Turkey. And we we are just going through um, verses here to try to see. And this is going to be the answer that we're going to really wrestle with this morning. Is What does it mean to follow Jesus? So Garrett has the microphone O power. He's going to read for us this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. What page number is that in your blue Bible? Anyone? I'm sorry, one more time. 827. Page 827 on your iPhone. I don't know what page that is. Nonetheless, Garrett, if you will start. We did the first part of chapter 1 last week. We're going to go through this. Will you start off by reading verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians 1 for us, please? For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So, we're catching things midstream right here, but Paul is still getting rolling within this letters. And if you see a lot of the letters of Paul, it really follows this template if you go in. Usually the first words are words of compliment. Paul wants to compliment the people to whom he's writing because eventually Paul often opens up a can upon them. So it's like before we get to the stuff where he's just like, stop, he starts off with, hey, guys, let me focus on the positive and see what you are doing well. And I think that's just something this is like I, I could say it's biblical wisdom, but I think this is life wisdom, too, because many of us have opportunities of conflict. And you're just like, I will just pen a strongly worded email on you. And usually in the first two lines, everything else that you say is lost. And what Paul wants to say is sometimes we have to build people up to be able to correct him. And that's what he's doing right here. He's looking at the positives and he begins by showing them or or talking about the things that they are doing well. And one thing that the church in Ephesus did is they started everything with love. So as we look through this text, trying to identify within these following verses, three things that they did simply is that they lived well in an outward manner. They were outwardly focused. 
And that's easy for us to say is it's something that we should do. But again, remember what we've talked about this church in the setting that they were in that would make this difficult. Number one, they were a small gathering, probably not much bigger than we are here today. And they were in a large burgeoning city that had a different worldview than what they uh, subscribed to. We talked last week of this lady here. This, this lady here was Artemis, also known as the goddess Diana. And she had a massive temple there. And everything in the town funneled through Diana or Artemis as a means by which their life could be better. Everything revolved around this. And so for them as Christians, where they're saying, no, we think uh, Artemis is, is a fake god. It's just something that's contrived. And we don't go up to the temple of worship. We can actually gather in a house with all these people. We don't need to ascend to a, this, this supposedly holy space to worship. They, they had a different worldview altogether. And we did discuss last week, and if you missed it, one of the things that we get from the first part of chapter 1 that said right here is Paul said, hey, all of us were adopted by Jesus. And he said that as a compliment to them because what the Christians would do is go around the other side of this massive hill that the city was nestled next to, to the garbage dump where people would leave babies because that was also part of who they were. They would abandon children and the Christians went and picked up the babies, adopted them, and they became some of the earliest followers of Jesus. So it's easy to say, hey, everybody, simple Jesus message, right? You got to love others. It's easy to love others when they're not doing things that are totally counter what you believe. And that is the difficulty that the people of God had right here. But this is what they lived out. They knew what it meant to love people who were not like them. And the lesson for you and I today that has to be key within this is that our faith in Jesus is confirmed by our love for other people. Your faith is lived out when you love others. So again, as we look at how you and I are supposed to act as Christians, we might think that standing down in a place where there's lots of people that could potentially doing debaucherous things, right? They have the high potential for that. And we might think that this is actually a sign of love. And you're just like, you know, how the hell does that work? How is that a symbol of love? Well, within their worldview, they're saying, well, if, if we don't say something to these people, then they're going to end up in hell forever. And as a response to that, this is actually me showing love to them by yelling at them and having this sign in their face. And I'm just telling you, as we read the scriptures, that was not how the early church functioned. They didn't grab big pieces of stone and chisel into the messages and prop them up on their shoulders and walk around the temple of Artemis. Artemis, that's just an unrealistic set of breasts that you have there. And by the way, for those not here last week, you're like, Where, that took a U-turn. That is what the, her belt was, right? As opposed to talking about her fertility. I had to go back because I'm like, that was highly contextualized. And somebody's like... What, were you at Oktoberfest this morning? Um, but this idea that they did not see their love expressed to people by protesting them and saying, this is our sign, join us or you're doomed. But what they did was they showed and lived out love. And even within taking in these babies, it's how it was affirmed. And that's what you and I need to recognize is that our love needs to be lived out. Friends, when good deeds happen in this world, when love is shown, it is a reflection of the God who created us. 
So you'll see that push with a lot of Christians, right? It's like, well, we just need to be people who do good things to show love to others. But then you look around and you're like, you know what? There's some people who I know that are showing that love that aren't Christian. Like, how does that work itself out? And just basically, the way that it, <laughs> we have to understand is that all good that happens in this world, the good that is created by people is all under the umbrella of the dominion of God. So when you're like, okay, they're like, uh, for instance, I know some nonprofit charities, those who have different religious uh, expressions than Christianity, some that have none at all, that, you know, are doing amazing things in the city and all over the world. And you're like, okay, how can they do those good things if it's not, you know, if they don't follow Jesus? Understand, it's, it's all God's, right? He created humanity. He put within us an inclination to love and to show those expressions. So even when something happens outside of the church, it's redeemed through what God did with us in creation. So how do, uh, what does that mean to us? I mean, ultimately, it means that we need to love large, right? And Jesus talks about this. The, the largest example of love I can think of is what Jesus wrote. And yes, of all the things in the Bible... I think this simplistic concept is still the most difficult for you and I to adhere. That we're supposed to love our enemies. See, I, it's easy for me to love the people I love, right? Like people I get along with, that's the, the ones who are easy to love. You know who it's difficult to love? People I despise. People who I do not respect. People who I think that just stand in opposition to things. But, you know, Jesus doesn't say, make bigger signs, bolder letters, more legible fonts. What he says to us is to love. So friends, we need to understand that being a Christian means expressing ourselves as God would outwardly, which is to show love. Garrett, we're moving on. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 18, please. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I like to think of myself as a deep person, but even here, some of the profound aspects of scriptures are, since, are just really simplistic, right? So if one thing we're called to do as Christians is to love outwardly, it would stand to reason that also we need to grow inwardly, right? Like that is an aspect of being a follower of God is yes, to focus externally, but also to have a concept of what it means to work on your own heart and repair it and grow it and make it better and make it more aligned with what God is doing in the world. As we read these verses right here, you know, there's this idea that God is just, or that Paul is just praying for these people and his primary prayer is that God blesses them with a spirit of two things, of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. And those are two things that go hand in hand, but sometimes we don't really focus on these two categories within repairing ourselves inwardly and making ourselves more like God. So what does it mean to grow inwardly? Wisdom and revelation. Let's start with that word revelation because it's the most awkward because then, you know, some of us are like, wait, is that the book of Revelation? Because I've glanced at that every once in a while and there's like weird dragons that eats pregnant babies, like, or, you know, not pregnant babies. The babies themselves are not pregnant, but the, but pregnant women's children during birth, you're like, that's just all here. And again, we have not yet gone through Revelation as a church. We'll get there someday. But the point is, the point of Revelation is just God wins. 
But we get distracted because there's that word revelation. But basically, that just means that which is revealed. And that is specifically when we're talking about what Paul is saying here, how God reveals himself to us. How does God make himself known to you and I? Through two different aspects of revelation. There is general revelation and there is specific revelation. In general revelation, we see, friends, all over without ever having to crack open a Bible, without ever having to watch TBN, without ever having to go to Oktoberfest and watching people displaying huge banners. General revelation is what we see within the world that God has created. And some of us have those experiences. Maybe this summer you went to a national park or someplace with just impressive mountains and you were like, God is there. One place where I still continually, after all these years, find God to be present in the city. When I sit on um, like the overlook where the Mount Adams incline would come in and I just sit on that wall after a run and I look at the vastness of the valley and I see all these buildings and these streets and these systems that have been designed over just a few hundred years, I look at that vista and I just think, I could see how God blessed human ingenuity to build up a massive city like this that just doesn't fall apart every day. That God has been working in ways that all people have the opportunity to see. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, talked about this in the beginning of Romans, a book he wrote to the Church of Rome, where he said, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His external power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What Paul is saying is that if somebody were to open their eyes, they could see where God was. And again, that is the great tension that people who uh, claim to be atheists usually have. Because people who adhere to atheism are usually rebelling against some sort of religious structure. But when they look and see how fully organized a complex world is, it is difficult for them to say, this is all just done by mere accident. That is called general revelation. And all people have access to that, whether they are literate or not. And specific revelation is then what you are holding in your hands or the text of which you're looking at your digital, uh, your digital viewer on. It is the word of God. Specifically, God tells us stuff. So there's a lot we can find out about looking at creation, but there's some of these specifics that we are, benefit, we are the beneficiaries of because we have the Bible. And Paul talks about this too, trying to elevate the view of Scripture. So again, when we have the Bible, what we want not to do is to beat people up with it, but to make sure that we are using it within our own lives to ensure that we are growing inwardly. And I'll tell you, as we as a church are talking about these transitions, uh, my wife and I were talking about it this week, is that what is that going to be me, mean to me personally? And one of the biggest things that I recognize, even though I have multiple letters behind my name that have theological degrees... The biggest challenge for me is going to be is that I grow a lot when I get to share with you through my study of scripture and my preaching time. And if I don't have that opportunity, then I'm going to have to be more purposeful in reading the word of God when I'm not having to prepare it for somebody else. Does that make sense? And again, this is maybe a little guilt opportunity for me to jab, jab, jab you. But I think it's something important. It's just that, you know, I read lots of crap all week, friends. I I stay away from BuzzFeed, but it always comes at me through Twitter, you know. 
Like, I, I just read all sorts of things that are happening just around the world because I just want to know what is going on here and there. But I usually don't have that time to think of, oh, all I have to do is, you know, ding, ding, and I can be at the Bible and have an opportunity to read that. And yet, really, the most profound things that have ever happened to me is a result of that special revelation because of what God has said. So as we look to, a grow, to grow inwardly, we have to then understand God's revelation. The second thing he says right there is wisdom. And what is wisdom, right? Wisdom is just being smart. No, wisdom is simply applied knowledge, right? If you have access to revelation, right? If I can see that God is present in the world, if I can open the scriptures and see how he moves and acts, then wisdom is me actually applying that into my lives. This is something that I think is really key that many Christians misunderstand. Is they think like, okay, there's just like this checklist of things I need to believe. And if I can master those, then when I get to heaven, I get the pass, right? You know, you're like, good job. You have the list memorized. You can get on in. No, because I'm telling you, and this is something that Christians struggle to understand, is that there's a lot of gray in life. The most difficult situations that I have ever mediated are always those that there is no definitive sin that I can say that is right, that is wrong. The problem usually is, is that there's two well-intentioned people who believe certain things who are living it out, and then they are at conflict with each other. And that's why there's difficult, because it's like, well, you're just siding with them because you like them better. You know, you have these, tens, these opportunities of tension and conflict. And understand this, though, is that sometimes our faith brings us into these moments of conflict. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's what's difficult, but that's why Paul says, I pray that you have wisdom how are you becoming more wise how are you taking what you've learned and applying that there's this really ironic cycle here because you know the way that i think that is best expressed inwardly is also through outwardly through you and i living with other people and trying to love them even when we have conflict Because when you do that, and that's why I love being a church in the city, because we are presented with that conflict all the time in our daily lives, right? Where you see just these issues of gray. How do you maneuver them? That's Paul's prayer for you. That should be our prayer for each other. It's not just that we have revelation, but that we're able to apply that in our lives and live wisely. So it has to be internal. Now, Garrett, uh, last verses. Read verses 19 through 23, please. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills, who fills everything in every way. All right. Get ready to be blowed away. Outward, inward, upward. See what he did there? Oh, we all saw it. Because basically what Paul is saying is, look, how, how can we do this? How can we learn to love each other better? How can we figure out how to grow spiritually, inwardly, that has to be done by an acknowledgement of who God is and what he, what he does? 
Who is the Lord and how does he help you then love other people and grow inwardly? And again, this is the reason why this, this seems like, okay, that was good three points right there. But I'm telling you, this is why it's important. Because again, we encounter people who bear the marks of all these different types of things, but their inability to unite it together leaves them wanting in what God is asking them to do. Because again, I've seen some people who can love other people like it's all good every day, but they have a problem syncretizing that with an internal growth. They're giving, 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 and they're hollow in here. Same wise, I've seen some people who might not express their love with other, but they are so internal. I know some, some people who would, you know, you could describe as spiritual, and they have concepts of mindfulness and peace, and they meditate, and they do yoga, and they have all these different types of things. Inwardly, they're doing well, but they're maybe, and maybe even they're expressing themselves in love. But again, what we see within our belief system is that it's coming down to this idea of who is the author and creator of all of that stuff, and that is why that must happen for us to live lives of faith and do what Jesus asked us to do or what Paul is praying for us to do which is to become the people that the Lord needs us to be I love that all of this comes down to this incomparably great power that God has so again if God made everything if he made you and I and created the human mind and gave us the capacity to learn and grow and over thousands of years to become just, you know, again, live in a society that, that is just as organized and structured more so than anybody ever could have imagined thousands of years ago. If God had been working through all of that, man, that's some amazingly great power. And this is the beautiful thing that Paul says, is that Paul says, by the way, that power that God used to make universes and galaxies and stars, moons, mountains, everything that comes in here is accessible to you and I. We have that accessibility to that power. And you're like, I wish I had more, right? Because I'm just struggling to get by at work. I'm not making this. How do I have that power? Friends, our, eternally is, our eternity is altered because God put within us that power. How does that happen? That happens through Jesus. That happens through Jesus. So as I look upward, I need to understand how the relationship works downward. Because what God did is that God sent Jesus, right? So the Father sends the Son, and then ultimately the Son sends the church. And yes, friends, this is hierarchical. And there's a whole argument about how God and Jesus interplay here that theologians have been arguing for thousands of years. I don't want to nestle into this, nestle into that. But to understand, though, that, friends, in thinking upward, we have to understand where we fit in. In on that. And where we usually go awry is we believe that we have the overall wisdom to be able to say that, you know, it's my will, not his will. And we need to recognize that this is how it lines up. So if we have our external, how we live outwardly, if we are growing internally, if we are recognizing upwardly, then we will see what it means to live as a person of faith. And the thing that broke my heart yesterday as I contemplate these people with these signs, you know, that they think are expressions of love really misses the whole emphasis of what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 1, to a people who are actually living in the society where they can call all of this stuff out, right? So the church of Ephesus, they had the rights to have the signs. But what Paul is saying is that more important than this is that you need to recognize where you are and where the people or God are. Because what the people holding the signs are trying to do 
is get people to live a good Christian life, right? Like they're trying to say, this is what it means to be life, but they are approaching it from an inverse aspect because they are speaking these words. How do we know? You know, I could talk about this. Like, where's all this contrived from? It's from the scriptures taken prepackaged, thrown at people who have even no concept of how that works. And a total absence of love. And as a result, this isn't what Paul's talking about here. It's not what he's talking about. That's not what it means to be a Christian. It's much more nuanced. And let's be honest, nuance sucks, right? I just want A, B, and C. Just give me those things and I'll live it out. No. Because wisdom, that applied knowledge, all this process just takes working and, and struggle and time. It's easier to go to Kinko's and get a sign created than to have to work on that. Really, there's a tension here that I think still presents itself in our lives. This is really what Paul is doing with all of chapter 1. All of chapter 1 here... And really, what he's trying to say to God's people throughout the book, I think we'll see this theme coming in over and over again, is how we as people of God can live lives of love, but also live lives of holiness. Because that's the tension, right? That's the tension of how we live. See, because love will help us get through the day, but ultimately it does not affect our behavior. Because you can be a person of love and still do... The same things over and over again that really doesn't help you inwardly. And similarly, holiness is purity and acknowledges God's role as holy. But it eliminates any aspect of forgiveness. And again, that's the tension people have when they follow Jesus, right? The tension is they either demand perfect holiness... And usually ignore how that's not lived out in their lives. Or they just thrust the message of love and don't understand that God is calling us to change our behavior every day to grow. This is why, friends, we need to understand that all of this comes back to our interconnectedness with each other. Verse 23, Paul says that the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And that's why I would offer that people don't like Christians, whether they're holding signs or otherwise. Because what Paul is saying, do you know how all of this, this love, holiness, tension is resolved? In the church. And who, have, who has ever offered the church's response to something like, hey, if you want to see how things are working perfectly, go to a church. It doesn't work because we are imperfect. But that's why it takes a community of people together living life together, keeping each other accountable toward this so that we can see what it means to live this out. So I would say this, as much as we're called to live outwardly and inwardly and upwardly, that that's not supposed to be done in isolation, that it's supposed to be done with other people in community. And more so than brilliant sermons or great worship or pretty stained glass windows, that's what we ought to be offering as a congregation. We ought to be a church where love and holiness are married, and even when it's not perfect, at least it's acceptable, right? And then when it's not perfect, that we work to right-size that within our community. So we need to live it out. 
So I keep thinking, and this is why I like to do this. So I, I think you get like numerous takeaways from this, but as I'm trying to land all this, I'm like, so what is this message to us? Like what, what is, and, and I'm just going to let you what God has just put convicting to me. As I just, like, I, I just, part of me, when I see the, the people holding those signs and yelling and megaphones at people, part of me is just like, I am a, again, I, I have a doctorate. I'm a trained theologian. I would love to go up and reason with those people. And it would just probably be the most fruitless endeavor I could ever have, right? It wouldn't work. And maybe I could turn around and just talk to those other people, but they'd be so pissed off at the people behind me with signs that they might think I'm associated with it. I end up with beer on my head there too. I'm like, is there like some better thing? Like maybe next year what I need to do, I just need to go down there and like make my own signs, right? Not out of rocks and chiseled out, but just something, you know, again, kinkas, they do lots of signs. I don't know what would be like printed on those signs. Maybe just words of love, like love ya, right? But again, that's love and holiness tension, Right? Because as much as I want to be like, Jesus loves you, I mean, that's, that's easy, and that's an amazing aspect of our faith, but at the same time, maybe it doesn't get us there. And maybe sometimes words can't really express that. Maybe I could just be like, hugs, right? But some of you know me, you're like, that is not happening. <laughs> Somebody has to be deathly ill or something for us to hug, right? And some of you are like, amen, it's not my spiritual gift. And if you've ever hugged a drunk person, that gets really awkward quickly, too, free beer. Uh, that would be a great sign. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know. Just maybe there's something there that needs to be said. But I just think about this is that unfortunately, you know, the thing that usually sh- we struggle with, and I'll admit I, I, too, is I'm like, that message is horrible. It's not reaching people in the city. But then I have to look in the mirror and say, how am I living out my message to reach people in the city? What would be on my sign? Maybe more importantly, what would be on your sign? What would be on our signs as we go down and stand among these people and try to acknowledge that, hey, we've checked the same box and they may think we're serving the same God, but it's not like that at all. What does that look like? And last thing, because then if I, you know, if I give a piece of homework that lasts a year or till this afternoon, that's like... You know, like, hey, next year there's that. Okay, that doesn't really help. But just this week in your life, as you're at school, as you're at work, as you're engaging with friends and family, what does it look like for them to see Jesus through you? You growing and loving outwardly, working on yourselves inwardly, acknowledging the God of the universe upwardly. What does that look for you? I'm going to pray for you now, and I'm going to pray for you that this week that God puts those opportunities in your lives to do that. And that you respond generally. And then if you're wrestling with this, that you find a peace with it. We're called to love. We're called to be holy. We're called to live that out. Heavenly Father, again, I love that we get to read about a small church that lived 2,000 years ago. And as much as we're like, okay, we live in this, you know, diverse, multicultural society. Father, they were in the midst of it as well. And yet because of their faithfulness, Father, eternity was changed. Because of their influence, we are here today. Because they lived out faith. They were your followers. Father, I would say for all of us this week, as you send us out, 
Help us first to grapple with that. Help us to, to gain wisdom for us to know your word, but then to live it. What does it mean for us to be your followers? God, allow your spirit to move in us so that we can realize that. And Father, this week, you're going to open some doors. And as much as it's ridiculous to stand in a crowd with a sign that's obscene, maybe even harder, it's to stand face to face with somebody we know that is wrestling with your whole existence or how they should live. And Father, this week as you move, I just ask that you put the Spirit in all of us, your Spirit, to help us to be wise, to live up to this calling that you've given us, but Father, also just to live out your love and holiness in all that we say and all that we do. We only do all this because of your great power at work through us, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And for him we give thanks as we go out today. In his name we pray. Amen.